Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. Well, it might be too early to do a best of show, but there's a method to my madness. We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 37 of The Bridge. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge. And what a special show we have in store this time around. We are currently coming to you live on Sports Radio America and will be doing so every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m., to bring you the best and brightest of all things sports. Now, for those of you that don't know much about me or are unfamiliar with The Bridge, the reasoning for me doing a best of show for this week is to introduce you to some of the different things that I do on this show and some of the different interviews that I've been lucky enough to have with some members of the sports media in the past several months. I'll get through a couple of my segments and rattle off some ways that you can interact with the show and then we'll get into some clips from some of the interviews that I've been able to do which should give you a better idea of what you can expect to hear when you turn into the bridge every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's certainly an honor to be a part of the Sports Radio America family, and I couldn't be happier to now be a part of their great schedule. They do a lot of great things. There's a lot of great shows that you can hear throughout the day and throughout the night, and I hope you'll enjoy mine as much as you do the others on the station. Now, for those of you that would like to interact with the show, there is a little bit of a caveat here. I am technically not doing this show live. It is pre-recorded, but you can still interact with the show. It will just take me a week to get back to you on whatever you might want to provide to the show. If you are a fan and a loyal listener of Sports Radio America, you can reach out to the new fan call-in line and dial 888-444-0570 and leave a message with your questions, hot takes, comments, or whatever else happens to be on your mind, and you just might be featured in next week's show. Again, that's 888-444-0570. And as you'll see on the Sports Radio America website, there's even a possibility that you might win prizes with your opinion. Now, for the loyal listeners and fans of The Bridge, I'm sure you have The Bridge call number saved into your phones, but let me just remind you what that is. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can call in or text into the show at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Feel free to contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes. And as I said, you might be featured in the next episode. You can also find me on Twitter at London Bridge if that might be easier for you to do as well. So what you'll find on the bridge is some segments to start off the show, including sports news read like real news, which we'll get into shortly. 
As far as the interviews are concerned, and you'll get a better taste of that in a few minutes, I really enjoy hearing the backstories to many of the sports media professionals that you might either read or listen to on the radio or see on television that have managed to work their way through the grind, kind of like what I'm doing now, and get into some prestigious positions that allow them to be able to talk about sports to a much larger audience. And I hope to continue adding to that list so you'll look forward to my interviews as much as I do in giving them. So before we get into some segments and some clips from those interviews, let me run down some housekeeping items for you so you'll be able to interact with the show if you so choose. For starters, you can find all previous episodes of The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund Under Artists. You can also find episodes of The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or of course, TuneIn. Now, the only caveat to The Bridge Sports Podcast as it stands now is that Sports Radio America will be exclusively playing my show first, live every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Once the dust settles on that live show and we start putting some things together to turn it into a podcast, that will then go live on iTunes and on all the other forms of media that I just mentioned. And I will also let you know when that happens via my Twitter at London Bridge, L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. Now that that's all taken care of, let's get into some of the fun stuff of the bridge. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. In the world of professional sports, when a player is performing incredibly poorly, fans of that team often joke that they'd be better off pulling a player out of the stands. During its season and home opener against Fordham University on Saturday, the Navy football team did just that. Only it wasn't because of poor play from one of its players. In the first half, the midshipman's starting quarterback got injured and was later seen on crutches. Freshman fourth-string quarterback Malcolm Perry did not suit up for the game after battling an illness for most of the week. His plan was to watch the game from the stands, but after the injury... Perry was pulled from the rest of the brigade and traded in his crisp white uniform for a blue number five Navy jersey. When asked heading into the locker room at halftime about pulling the quarterback from the stands, head coach Ken Neomatalolo wasn't even aware that the move had been made. Fresh off of starting in the junior varsity game on Friday, Perry entered the game in the fourth quarter with his team holding a commanding 49-13 lead. He then led the midshipmen on a 90-yard drive that ended with a field goal and finished the game with 32 rushing yards on seven carries while not attempting a pass. After the game, the Navy sports information staff jokingly, or seriously, tweeted out, more national media tweeting about our fourth-string quarterback than they did about the 11-win Navy team last year. But one thing is for certain, Perry will be ready whenever duty calls. Anchors away, my boys. Anchors away. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Now, I've already mentioned a couple of times the different ways that you can interact with the show by calling into the show number 
either through Sports Radio America at 888-444-0570 or through the number for the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. We've had a couple shows in the past that were very listener-driven, if you will, with several people calling in to ask questions to the specific guests that we had that week for an interview. And before I answer one of the questions that has been on the docket, I thought I would pose it to you and see if you might want to call in or text in your best answer to maybe have it read on next week's show. This specific question comes from my fictitious producer, Eddie Ocasio, who is currently serving a suspension for conduct detrimental to the bridge. Before that suspension occurred, however, he called into the show and posed this. If you could make any 30 for 30 film and choose the director, what would the topic be and who would you get to do it? You could call in or text the show with that answer at 929-BRIDGE-7, 929-274-3437, and the good ones will be read on next week's show. Now, as I promised for this best of the bridge, I wanted to run through some of the highlights of the different interviews I've been able to do over the past several months with different members of the sports media. There was certainly a lot to choose from, and it was hard to narrow them down, but I went with some names that might be a little bit familiar to you to where you might be able to put a face to their voice or at least know where to possibly find them, whether that be on the radio or through the internet. We're going to start off with my first ever professional interview, if you will, with Sirius XM's Tom Byrne. He hosts shows on NBA radio and Mad Dog Sports Radio. You can hear him throughout the week on both of those channels. We'll follow that up with Howard Beck. He's a senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, and he worked as a reporter for the LA Daily News for seven years and ended up covering some of those great Lakers teams in the 2000s. So I talked to him a little bit about Kobe Bryant's final game that happened at the end of this past NBA season, and he had some great insight on some of the different things he was able to cover while he was one of the beat writers for the Lakers. After that, we'll hear from ESPN Radio Freddie Coleman, who perhaps has the most sweet-sounding voice on the airwaves. After that, we'll hear from Boog Shiambi. He's the play-by-play voice of Major League Baseball on ESPN Radio. That will be followed by the Morning Men from Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio, first with host Mike Babchick and then with host Evan Cohen, and we'll end with some thoughts from George Sedano, who hosts the George and Izzy show on ESPN Radio. I hope you'll enjoy some of their insights, and I hope this will allow you to get a better feel of some of the different things that you'll hear on the bridge in the following Wednesdays moving forward. It's been a pleasure getting to tell you a little bit about myself and a little bit about the bridge sports show, and I hope you'll stick around and enjoy the ride as much as I've been enjoying it myself. Without further ado, let's get into the interviews, starting with Tom Byrne, the national sports talk show host on Sirius XM. How did you end up working up through the ranks and eventually ending up on 97.5 The Fanatic? Because that was really where you were probably able to be much more exposed to not only the fans, but to more professional athletes and really get involved in sports media at a higher stage. You know, it took a while. I, like a lot of other young kids coming out of Scranton, had to go ahead and take jobs nobody necessarily wanted. My first job was a background job in a TV studio at Philadelphia Park. I also had a job 
and TV Guide. And I was just kind of waiting, biding my time. I regretted at this point not having done an internship. But eventually, I got a call from the then assistant program director at 97.5 The Fanatic about being an intern, despite the fact I no longer could get credit. At that point, fortunately for me, that wasn't frowned upon. You could still sort of do that thing. They regulate that much more than they used to. Right. But long story short, that's what got me in, and I did enough behind the scenes for free that they gave me an opportunity to produce. That was never really my thing, though. I wasn't a very good producer either. And eventually got a chance to do update anchors and press there. Eventually got a chance to fill in on a weekend and press there to the point where I just kind of worked my way up doing updates on Mike and Mike. And, and next thing you know, I had the night share, and I just didn't relinquish it until SiriusXM made an offer. So I was fortunate. I never had to leave the market. This isn't always the case. If you're going to be involved in sports broadcasting, more times than not, you're going to have to leave the market. Was it ever difficult for you in the beginning to try to get a really significant handle on all of the major sports? Yeah, absolutely. You need to buff up on your national sport big time when you go national. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, when you're doing local in Philadelphia, it's a very parochial town. You don't necessarily have to do national sports outside of the big things like the NBA Finals and the Super Bowl, obviously, things like that. But yeah, it was a little bit of an eye-opener. I had to buff up because I wasn't necessarily as in tune with all the teams outside of Philly as I am now. So yeah, there's no getting around that. I mean, if you're going to do the national level, you better start to figure out who's on the Seattle Mariners, who is the sixth man on the Detroit Pistons. I mean, you don't have to go too far with it because at the end of the day, you're not going to talk extensively about those two particular subjects. But you get the idea. Right. Things that would have meant nothing in the past mean something now. And I'm exaggerating to an extent. The Seattle Mariners are never going to be a big topic on national radio. Baseball as a whole is no longer, that's one of my teams recently, a big topic on national radio. But you get the point. You can't just sit there and pay attention to the team to like. You have to know everybody. So how are you able to develop your own radio voice? Because when you have a national program like you do, you obviously have to have a pretty significant dialogue at certain points in the show and be able to drive where your show is going to go. How long did it take you to figure out what you wanted to be and really develop your voice in radio? I don't know. I guess it came naturally only because... I listened to sports radio for so long. Like I said, my father grew up listening to Mike and the Dogs, and of course it's cool now to be on the namesake channel on TSXM. You know, I listened to some of the local guys in Philly. Didn't like all of them, but I would listen even to get a sense of style, how different guys run their shows, what works, what doesn't, when tease, when the tease becomes annoying at certain points. And I think it's always important to give opinions. You can't worry about offending people as long as you don't make it personal. you just got to give strong opinions. And as long, again, as you don't kill guys personally, then that's fair. It's fair game. These are millionaire sport Brad athletes. And if you call them out for lack of effort or lack of execution, it's all fair game. And as long as you're not a fence sitter, but you're fair at the same time, and you have a certain way to structure a show, eventually somebody might listen to your show, and you'll get a chance to prove it on an even higher level. We are here with Howard Beck. He is a senior writer for Bleacher Report, and he spent seven seasons from 1997 to 2004 covering the Lakers for the Los Angeles Daily News. He's actually in L.A. right now. I know you went to L.A. about three weeks before that game to kind of give Kobe a goodbye and send your not condolences for him retiring, but just give him a thanks for what he's done. And he told you to basically come back. So could you tell everybody how that exchange went when you thought that maybe you could get away with not going to his final game? Yeah, well, I had had no plans to attend his his final game, Um, you know, mostly because I 
live in New York now. It's a long way from Los Angeles. Um, right. So I had seen Kobe back in November, I guess it was, when he came in to play the Knicks and Nets in a single weekend. And I wrote about his, his farewell to the Garden then, and I got a chance to chat with him a little bit. And he hadn't announced his, his, his retirement yet, but yeah, it was pretty obvious. I mean, I expected this to be his final year. Um, but I, I hadn't seen him since then. I had, we just had not crossed paths anywhere. And I thought, you know, I was in LA and it was like March 22nd. I think it was, I was out here to work on a separate project. And I thought, Oh, the Lakers are home. I'll go to Lakers Grizzlies and uh, give me a chance to go say goodbye to Kobe. He's coming down the home stretch here. I'm not going to be here for the finale. Uh, Kevin Ding, one of my colleagues, is based in L.A., and I figured he would cover the finale anyway. So I really had no reason to think I was going to be back. And so I see Kobe post-game. He finishes with the you know the, the post-game interview, and I go up to say, hey. And he say, what's up? I said, I came to say thanks and goodbye. And and he, he gets you know this like indignant look and kind of smacks me on the chest like, you know, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You're not going to be here on the 13th? No, we, we can curse, so if you really <laughs> want to know. tell everybody right. what he had to say. <laughs> but, but he says, you can't be here at 17 and not be here for 37, man. And 17 being his age when he came in to the league and 37 at the end. Now, he's off a little bit because when I met him, he was 19. So I, I was there at 19, not at 17. But um, but that was his, his point. And so he's like, come on, man, finish the journey, man. <laughs> and, and I think I think there was one other F-bomb in there somewhere. But um, he, he it was basically like, you know, shaming me into, into, into coming back or, or, you know, scolding me into coming back. Right. Saying, you know, you, you need to be here at the end. And I thought it was really interesting, especially when you think about Kobe talking about how his next career is going to be in, in the art of storytelling, that he, he wants to be, and I think he is a very good storyteller. If you saw Kobe Bryant's news and if, you, if you've seen uh, some of the shorter things he's done uh, with the Players' Tribune, he's got, a, I think, a real feel for it. And so that he would want this symmetry and that he would have this sentimental inclination. And, and as I noted in the column that I wrote off that you know last week, He's not been a sentimental guy in my experience. So that he had this moment where it was like urging me. I mean, it's not like we're friends, you know, right. we're, we're not boys, we're not <laughs> hanging out. Um, I'm just a guy who covered him for seven years from 97 to 2004 during, you know, obviously a pretty critical part of his career. But he's saying, come back, come back. And, and John Black, the Lakers longtime PR guy who is a friend of mine, was standing, you know, not too far off, just kind of chuckling to himself. And when, when Kobe and I parted ways that night, um, John just kind of laughed and I said, I guess I'll see you on the 13th. I guess I'm coming back. And I still wasn't sure at that moment, but you know, I went back to New York, talked talk to matters and I said, you know what, let's, let's do this. There's, you know, there's, there's a good reason to, to do this. Uh, it'll give me a chance to reflect, write something off of it. I'll stay and I'll, I'll cover some Clipper playoffs, which is what I'm still doing in LA now. Um, but it was, it was a fun little moment and, uh, you know, not what I expected. Not, and I, I certainly didn't expect him to, to come back for his finale and then i certainly didn't expect his finale as we talked about to uh to you know unfold the way it did 60 shots 50 points i i, I still can't wrap my head around it it was always kobe and shag and without shag he would have never won them how much do you think shag meant to those teams and what influence did kobe have on those first three rings well the fact is nobody wins these things alone in the nba and unless you talk about the 2004 pistons Nobody wins without a couple of Hall of Famers. Um, you know, LeBron, LeBron couldn't win titles in Cleveland because he didn't have enough talent around him. He needed he needed Wade and Bosch in Miami, um, and you know, Duncan Ginobili, Parker. I mean, it's it's always two, three guys who are elite players, and you know, and they don't always 
mesh either. Sometimes we get elite players together in this league and, and they, they don't, they can't get the best out of each other and they can't figure out a way to, to thrive simultaneously and, and bring out the best in each other. Shaq and Kobe, the, the, the frustrating thing with them was that they knew very well how to, to, to work well together. They just didn't always do it. <laughs> um, but it took both of them for sure. I mean, Shaq during that stretch of time was, as he would put it, the most dominant player in the NBA, one of the most dominant of all time, and was just a, a bear for teams to deal with because he was so big, he was so strong, so powerful, nimble on his feet, incredibly athletic. And, you know, people thought oh, it's just about the dunking. There was so much more to his game, his footwork and a uh, little hook shot in the lane. And, you know, he had this need to to just crush people like Shaq. It was right. never enough to score. It was never enough to score. He wanted to break the friggin' rim. He wanted to shatter the backboard, which he once did in Orlando uh, in, his, in his earlier days. He wanted to dunk on you. He wanted to embarrass you. He wanted to, uh, he, he took, he relished just wrecking teams. And they, they, that was the joy of, of Shaq at that time. Um, he didn't always work as hard as Kobe in the off season. We know that that was a big part of their differences with each other. Um, but Shaq was a beast. He just, and if you look, you know, he was the, the, the MVP of all three of those finals that they won together. Right. Kobe was critical, absolutely critical to those finals runs and bailed them out. Especially there was a series against the Spurs. I remember where Kobe had some huge games and some against the Kings as well. And without him, they don't get there. Um, but Shaq was the guy who ultimately delivers in the finals. He because he was the guy. Not that either of them were guardable, but Shaq was just such a unique quantity that he's the guy that that teams had to think about first. Um, and th there's there was just no matchup for Shaq. We're here with Freddie Coleman. He is the namesake for the Freddie Coleman Show on ESPN Radio weeknights from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can sometimes hear him on the weekends as well and see him on ESPN and ESPN2. He's been kind enough to come onto the show. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, John, my friend. How are you, partner? I'm doing well. You ended up in Albany, and that's really where this journey to ESPN got started as far as Somebody just happened to be passing through and happened to hear your voice. Yeah, it was the general manager of ESPN Radio at that time, Bruce Gilbert, because he was driving through to a seminar somewhere, and he always loves to listen to local radio. Bruce is still a friend of mine, even though he is in charge of Premier Radio Networks, part of Fox Sports Radio. Bruce is a major, major friend and a major mentor of mine. And he was just driving through that day, and he had a, a morning meeting on Monday, and you see, I heard this guy, Freddie Coleman, on on the Fox Sports affiliate in Albany, New York. And at that time, Jason Barrett was one of the producers of Game Night. He was in, he was a producer of Game Night the weekend. And he said he almost gave himself whiplash, whipping his neck around, going, did I just hear Freddie's name in this meeting? <laughs> and Bruce said, I wish there was a way we could get in contact with him. And Jason raised his hand and said, I know how to get in contact with him. I have his cell phone. And Bruce says, can you call him? He goes, Absolutely. So Jason called me that Monday, and at that time, I'm doing Monday through Friday up in Albany, New York, and the Capital District area. It's such a great area to work in, to play in, to meet people. It's one of my favorite, favorite places to go back to and visit. And I'll never forget, Jason called me that Monday afternoon, a little after 1 o'clock, as I'm preparing for my show that started at 3. And he said, how mad are you to that Tobin and Coleman radio show? And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we have an opening here full-time 
opening for game night on the weekends. We've tried out different people with John Seibel, and nobody's been able to stick with him. And Bruce heard you and wanted to get in contact with you, so send me your stuff. So I overnighted everything immediately to, at that time, Dave Zaslowski was his boss. He was in charge of weekend programming for ESPN Radio. And I got a buzz back from Dave saying, you know, we want you to come down and do an audition. And I, I was able to go down, and I did it on Saturday and Sunday. The first show I ever did on ESPN Radio was with John Seibel and Sean Salisbury. And I had so much fun because they made me feel so comfortable and so welcome. They always told me from the initial from the initial that you have to be yourself because that's what got you here in the first place to get an audition. And I'll never forget one of the producers also on that show, Jeremiah Crow, another friend of mine. And I, someone told me this later. Jeremiah walked in midway through the show and said, hire him now, hire him before he gets <laughs> away with somebody else. And so Dave, after the show was over, I didn't know how I did, but I figured, you know what, if I didn't do well, fine. I was still ahead of 99.9% of the world. And Dave says, can you come back and do it next week? I said, well, I had to take a day off from here to do this. If I do it again next week, someone's going to get suspicious right. in Albany, but I can do it in two weeks and then we'll see what goes from there. And they kept bringing me back every weekend in June of that year, in 2004, Bruce offered me a contract and I've been at ESPN radio ever since. Now, I don't know if it's because your show ends up being on a little bit later at night, but one of the things I really love is it just seems like you feel at home behind a microphone. You make us feel like we're sitting next to you at the bar just talking about sports like you would with your buddies. How would you describe your approach as a sports broadcaster, some of the things you've tried to bring to your show every night to keep it as successful as it's been? Well, one of the things I always tell people that as much fun as you think that we're having, we're having a lot more fun than that because I wouldn't want anybody to think that I don't like what I'm doing because I clearly love what I do. And I always want that to radiate no matter who's listening or no matter what they bring to it. It's always going to be for me what I'm going to bring to it and I can go from there. So one of the things about our show that is very unique is that we set the news where everybody else is going to talk about the next day. And that's always been a hallmark of our show is that when you hear something the next day, we've already talked about it and discussed it because that's where everything happens. And and we're one of the few shows outside of Mike and Mike in the morning that's cleared in every major market in the country. Right. So you, you're going to hear us in New York. You're going to hear us in Los Angeles. You're going to hear us in Chicago. And whatever platform is there, whether it's an app or online or, or Sirius Satellite Radio, we have a lot of clearance that a lot of other shows don't have throughout the day other than Mike and Mike in the morning. So I want anybody to listen to me when they listen to say, okay, I don't have to question what that he does not enjoy what he's doing because he really does. Whether you agree with me or disagree with what I have to say, I'm completely okay with that. I wouldn't want anybody or everybody to agree with what I had to say because no one is that smart or that brilliant. But that's the one thing I always want people to take from that show, that no matter what, you're always going to get 100% of me. You're not going to get any less than that, and that can be good or bad depending on who you talk to. Is there a time in the sports year that you don't necessarily look forward to as far as the content not being as strong? Or is this a 24-7, 365, you're going to be able to find something to talk about no matter what time of the year it is? Oh, our format's like Denny's, John. We're always open. We always have the Grand Slam. We always have, we always have the moves of Miami ready for <laughs> anybody to consume. There's no such thing, especially now when Sports Talk Radio continues to increase listenership. It continues to do big business. A lot of stations are changing formats. 
to get in on the Sports Talk Radio goldmine that seems like that track is never going to run out, no matter if it's national or no matter if it's local. So there's no such thing as a down period because, as and we say this all the time on our show, somebody out there is always doing something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. But somebody either on the field or off the field, they're always doing something. So immediately, you're always going to have a base of something to talk about or a base of something to discuss that a lot of people either want to hear or want to pay attention to or want to get your insight on. So there's never been a day. And I'll never forget when Nick Saban decided to leave LSU to go to the Miami Dolphins. He did that on Christmas Day. And you would think that's the one day where nothing's going on, where there are no games going on at that time. There's nothing that a lot of people are going to be interested interested in us outside of the NBA. And he did that. So if something like that can happen on Christmas Day, then every day is always going to be up for grabs, especially in our format, because somebody, one way or the other, is always going to be doing something. I'm here with John Boog Shiambi. He is the play-by-play voice of MLB on ESPN Radio. You can hear him on Sunday Night Baseball. You might see him on Wednesday Night Baseball or on Baseball Tonight. You've also probably seen or heard him on college basketball broadcasts. And now you get to hear him here. Sir, thank you for joining the show. How are you doing today? I am doing well. What's going on? Could you give a Cliff Notes version of after you graduate, how you get those first couple of jobs to get your feet wet and get into the industry, and then that leads up to eventually getting that gig with the Florida Marlins, who win the World Series like right when you're hired. So I guess they did a good thing by bringing you on board. So I went to WQAM, as I mentioned, and I was – the one thing – the first gig that I had was at a place called WESB. They're a family friend. I went to Bradford, Pennsylvania, home of the Zippo Lighter Factory. Sure. And, you know, I did news, sports, DJ, board up. I did the whole thing. But, again, I got a chance to be on the air, so I was getting a chance to get better. So when I got to QAM, I already had, a, you know, at least some on-air experience. So they let me do updates. Um, they let me produce. And eventually they got gave me my own talk show, which was really the thing that I thought that, that I wanted to be doing. But I got a little, I don't know whether I would say bored, but I started during the Marlin season in 94. I started at night going into the, an empty broadcast booth and just doing games into a tape recorder. And I did that for a little bit. And eventually, you know, after I had what I thought was something that was, you know, mildly listenable. Uh, I passed it out to some people. I wanted some critiques. Uh, I got them Uh, at that point as well. I was, I started to kind of use the, the Marlins Panthers uh, broadcasting director, uh, Dean Jordan as a little bit of a mentor and, you know, gave him the tapes. I got a job in Boise, Idaho um, with the Boise Hawks. I did the summer of 96 for short season A, and which was amazing, a, a great, great experience. And when I came back uh, for the following season, the Marlins were changing up their their broadcasting structure, and they were going to split TV between Dave O'Brien and Joe Angel, and they were going to have a fourth position that was going to be only radio, and it was going to be kind of pregame, postgame, in-game scores. And it really developed into 
um, a little bit of play-by-play as well until, you know, probably by 99. That was 97. By 99, um, you know, I was I was doing every single game. But I do like this notion of making baseball fun again, something that Bryce Harper has kind of taken on his back. The Cubs are even doing that with Joe Madden because of the way he's able to manage. And I know you're doing that a little bit in the broadcast booth because we mentioned before we got on here, you're frequently a guest dropping by with Dan Lebitard's radio show. He's on 10 to 1 on ESPN nationally, and he's roped you into another one of his brilliant segments if you will where the fans are able to give you some input as to what you might say during a broadcast how did that get started and what have been some of the better things that you've been able to say or sneak in during one of your broadcasts yeah i mean it's not church man like let's have fun i mean it's funny like dan's one of my closest friends you know we got to be really good friends down in miami when i worked down there right and have have stayed really close um, so it was just something that we were talking about, you know, like we we're just hanging out. I think it was like February down in Miami. We we're hanging and we we're like, you said, you know, I should have you on this year. And I was like, you know, well, what would we call it? And then I was like, we should call it five minutes of hot garbage. And he's like, that's perfect. <laughs> and then it became like trying to infiltrate the broadcast and yeah, just finding sort of subtle, stupid things that, you know, they're, Subtle, stupid things that, you know, his listeners would be able to catch on to. Um, I do think it's in the same vein. Like, there needs to be some personality. Like, this is not – it's not church, man. Like, we got to stop taking it so seriously. Like, it's it's a game. You know, one of Dan's lines that's great is, like, I hate hearing play the game the right way. I right. hate respect the game. Like, Dan will always say, you know, are you supposed to respect shoots and ladders? What about Candyland? He's supposed to respect <laughs> Candyland? Like, what are we talking about? Like, it's a game. Hey, it's Mike Babchek from Morning Man on Mad Dog Sports Radio, and you're listening to The Bridge with John Lund. This is a guy who talked to Boog Shiambi, who talked to Freddie Coleman, who talked to Howard Beck, who talked to Tom Burns. And for some strange reason, he made a crucial error. So he talked to me. Shut up and sit down. I'm here with Mike Babchek. He is the co-host of The Morning Men on Mad Dog Sports Radio each weekday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and he's been kind enough to join the show. Mike? Hello there. How are you, Fal? Hey, Fal. Good to talk to you, John. I, it was great seeing you at Falcon. It was great meeting you that day. I mean, you're a tall man. You got a bit of a belly, but it was nice to um, give you a good old hug, man. It felt right. The hug you know, did really feel did. good. You got, you're a huggable, you got a huggable type of body. So, I mean, uh, be proud of that. Did it take you any amount of time, or was there an experience that you had to go through to help you develop the confidence that you've grown into on air and, and basically, as you said, let those filters down a little bit and put away that rehearsed persona that we usually hear on radio and really just be yourself. Did that take a little getting used to, or did you kind of have that confidence when you first got started? I always wanted to tell people, you know, the truth, right? I always wanted to be real on the radio. Um, but, yeah, it does take time. You know, coming into it, you know, you have to have, to have a balance between, uh, all right, should I tell this story or not? I mean, how is this going to make me look? You know, is this going to, you know, shed me a, a poor light but um you know th- you know after a couple of years of doing it you do feel more confident to say what you 
say what you want to say. Right. But I think that's because this show has allowed that to happen. I think that show has allowed it to happen. And, you know, the fans embracing that, of course, makes you more confident. So, but um, I do think that the callers, I think they feel like they can call into Morning Men and say anything. And that's what's great. Right. Right. They could call up, they could be themselves. And I think that's a great, it's a great thing that, um, that has happened here with the show. I think a lot of people have responded, you know, really well to the show because they feel like they could be real and they could say anything and they won't be judged with the judge-free zone. My fictitious producer, Eddie, who you may remember as the shorter Puerto Rican gentleman who served as my date at Falcon, he wants to know if you believed Daryl Strawberry's story about having sex with women during the game when they were on the road when he was with the Mets back in the 80s. Of course. Because it seems kind of difficult to happen, don't you think? A lot has to go in your favor for that to work out, especially if you're doing it in between innings or if it's the bottom of the lineup. Do you tell the guys to take some pitches? Don't go up there looking to get a hit. Maybe take a couple. I need some time. Do you take your cleats off? Do you scuff up the floor? There's a lot that goes into this. You're right. There's a lot of timing issues. You're right about that. And does somebody tell you when there's only two outs? I'm right. Sure there's two outs, right? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of timing issues, but I think that somebody has to be on the lookout. And as soon as there's two outs, I think they got to come and they got to say, hey, Daryl, you got to speed it up, which apparently he was very good at. I mean, for me, I'd only need basically an out. I mean, like, I don't, I wouldn't even need a full inning. But Daryl Shrubbery seems like a pro. Right. It might take him a lot longer than a guy like me. I mean, come on. I mean, so, but I, do I believe it's true? Yes. Absolutely. I think that Daryl could pull it off. 86 Mets, I mean, they were a crazy team, but they were superstars. They're rock stars. So, yeah, Daryl pointed. I think that somebody went out there. But how about that story? What a question by Evan Cohen. That was amazing. Daryl struggled. Amazing. I'll tell you a quick story about how we got our name. You know, we were sitting around after Phillips left. We were up there in the office with Steve Cohen. That's the big boss of Sirius XM. Steve Corey, that's the program director, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Evan Cohen, and myself. We're sitting there. We're talking about a name. Obviously, I threw out there, hey, Evan and Babchick. Like, that's you can't put your name in. Steve Cohen really wanted to call it the Evan Cohen Show. Really did. Evan, I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. You know, it's about us. You know, we've got to have something else. It can't just be the Evan Cohen Show. And then, out of nowhere, there's a guy that walked by the room, right? We waved to him. He was outside the office. The office is glass walls. So you can look right in. So he sees us waving at him. Big guy sticks his head in, opens the door, right? Sticks his head in and goes, morning, man. We're like, boom, that's the name. That's it. And from that, we got this. And that's a good thing. I'm here with Evan Cohen. He is the co-host of The Morning Men on Mad Dog Sports Radio each weekday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sir, how are you today? John, doing very well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. How were you contacted for the Mad Dog Sports Radio position, and who made that phone call to you to offer the opportunity to go to Sirius? So it is a really weird story that is so happenstance and chance and how lucky I got, but I will take you back since I don't know that this story has really ever been told fully on the air. So in 2004, I believe, I went to the Super Bowl. Steve and Craig took me to the Super Bowl in Jacksonville. Patriots and Eagles. And I was sitting in the stands. And I was cheering for the Patriots. 
And the person sitting in front of me looked behind me, and he said, are you Evan Cohen? And I said, is this a bit? Come on, who put you up to this? Like, there's no way I'm getting recognized five hours away from where I live. It happened to be a guy who was from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, who listened to the afternoon show, recognized my voice, a guy by the name of David Miller. We started talking, and he was telling me he enjoyed the show, and we just, I found out about his life, he found out about mine, and sporadically over the years, we kept in touch. He happened to have told me that his best friend that he went to college with at Tulane was Bruce Murray. Now, Bruce has been on Sirius for a long time, one of the, the lead voices on NFL radio, of course. And Bruce was on Mad Dog at the time. He was hosting a show with a guy by the name of Bill Pito, who's a big-time guy in New York, MSG, does Knicks and Rangers, and has a huge TV job. So Bill Pito was doing both, I guess, for a while. I guess Bill went exclusively to television. This is now in 2010, 2000, yeah, 2010, late 2010, I think, or maybe 2011, I don't even remember. So all of a sudden, I get a call from David Miller, and he says to me, and I spoke to him once or twice a year, probably. He said, you know, I've always told you about Bruce Murray. I said, yeah, he's great. He said, well, he's going to have an opening as a co-host. I said, okay. He said, I'd like to really pitch you, even though I'm not involved, he's my friend, and I'd like to really pitch you for this. And I said, well, that is unbelievably flattering, but let me just make sure that it's okay with the team that I'm on. Now, at that point, I was doing ESPN Radio part-time stuff, nights and weekends. I was doing stuff in Miami on WQAM station there. I had just finished up doing stuff on Fox Sports Radio. I was on TV every night at 10 and 11 on Fox 29 and WPTV News Channel 5, and I was doing play-by-play for Florida Atlantic University basketball. So I had a million other things that I was doing and we were a part of as part of our team in ESPN West Palm and Good Karma. So I said, let me just run everything by them. So I ran it by my by Steve and Craig and they said, Yeah, let me why don't you why don't you see what it is? He reached out to, to Bruce. Bruce reached out to Steve Torrey. Steve Torrey reached out to me. And started talking to Steve and then Steve and Craig actually basically in essence, if you want to look at it this way, served as my agents and started talking to management. But serious. Now, I just want to stop for a second because think about this for, for one split second. My bosses at one job were representing me to try to get another job. And if anybody wants to understand the kind of company that I have worked for and been a part of since 2003, that's all you need to know. The two people that I report to were doing everything in their power to help me get a better opportunity. Unbelievable. That doesn't happen. That never happens. And so, you know, secondarily, has been my example, and I've prided myself in doing the same if I can help others do the same kind of thing within our company. So there's a back and forth that goes on between SiriusXM and Good Karma, and I was made an offer to co-host with Bruce. And I said to both parties, I said, I want to do both if I can. From here, you guys work this out. If you can work it out, I'll do both. If not, I stay as is wasn't a demand or anything like that. It was basically, I wasn't going to leave one job for another job, despite the other job potentially paying me more, being in a city that I was from. It would make more sense potentially for my family long-term. It didn't matter. I had no interest in ever leaving. Still don't. Good karma. So somehow they worked it out. And then two weeks prior to my start date with Bruce, all of a sudden I got a call from Tori who said, there's going to be a change. They're moving some things around. Jason Horowitz, who's a great guy I've gotten to know recently, actually, was moving from Mad Dog to NFL slash college slash ultimately now Bleacher Report. He hosted in the afternoon. And that they were mainly concerned now with putting somebody next to Steve. And so two weeks before I actually started, 
my shift got changed without ever working a shift. But literally, my hiring at Sirius XM goes back to 2004 being recognized, or five, whatever it was, recognized at the Super Bowl with the Patriots and the Eagles. A lot of your listener interaction comes through Twitter, but instead of me going through your mentions and some of the trolls you have to deal with throughout the day, I wanted to do some detective work instead because your Twitter bio is made up of nine acronyms instead of any words or descriptions, and I want to go through them with you and decipher what they all mean, if that's okay, if they're not some secret code that we can't can I, discuss. Can I tell you something? I will 100% do that. You're the first person ever to ask me about that, and I've always wondered why people who tweeted me have never asked me that. The first thing I thought of when I started following you on Twitter is, what are these? I know a couple, but I, I can't be necessarily sure of the rest. So here we go. The first one is GKB. Good common branch. Easy enough. Second... U-U-B. 106.3 FM, ESPN 106.3 in Florida. Those are the call letters. EFL is number three. Call letters of ESPN 760, which is now a deportation station that we have in Florida, which was the first station that we started uh, in Florida. So we have two stations there, 760 AM, 106.3 FM. EFL would be the call letters for that station. SXM. Serious XM. I think we know that one. MDR. <laughs> Well, it should be MDSR, but Mad Dog Sports Radio, Mad Dog Radio. Right. You only have a certain number of characters, though, so that's okay. (laughs) The next one is NY. New York. WPB. West Palm Beach. UW. University of Wisconsin. And SHS. Scarsdale High School, where I went to high school. I think those are a lot easier now that we've had the majority of this conversation. <laughs> so maybe I should have did that in the beginning because now everybody would be like, no, oh, that was obvious. Fascinating. Basically, it's, this is kind of what I am that helps make who I am. You know, the Twitter bio, my bio is those are all my, that's my thing. That's you. That's my connection to, to the world, in essence, through those things, non-family. You know, that's my thing. Went to Scarza High School, went to University of Wisconsin, spent time in New York, spent time in Florida. Those are my direct stations in many ways, and those are that's where you can hear me and find me and where my life is played out. I'm here with George Sedano. He is the host of the George and Izzy Show on ESPN Radio weekdays from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and he's been kind enough to join the show. Sir, how are you? Hey, John. I'm great, buddy. And yourself? I'm doing very well. And, you know, I played a lot of basketball as an adult, actually. More basketball as an adult than I probably even did as a kid. Like we used to have like these crazy media games when I was in Miami. We probably did it for like five or six years. Every Tuesday night, we'd go to um, we'd go to my old high school, and we'd play from like nine o'clock to like midnight, full court, um, and we'd go at it for three hours. And some of those games got pretty heated and competitive. It was kind of fun. So if somebody's walking by your high school, they look in the gym door. Is that Jorge Sedano? Is that? Other people from ESPN. What is going on in there? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was I mean, at the time, were there anybody? Yeah, I guess some guys were doing some stuff at ESPN at the time, but it was mostly local Miami guys. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Every Tuesday night, whatever you know, we we'd go at nine because usually that's whenever the last you know practice for whatever team was using the gym would be done with. You know, somewhere about eight eight thirty. I'm talking about five six years straight. Every week we played. And uh, it was fun. Like it was, and really competitive. That's probably when I was in the best shape of my life, to be honest. Like we started as as a small group, um, like maybe the first couple of weeks. Like it was probably like you know three on three, and then within like two or three weeks, it became a full court thing. Where it got so big, where you know that we'd have to we'd have to have teams sit out 
Like sometimes we'd have 15 or 20 guys. So we basically have to rotate in right. like different, uh, different teams of five. Like it was pretty, like it was pretty like fun back then. So if you had to pick your top five, this is going a little bit off the beaten path here, but if you're picking your top five for a pickup game against other ESPN personalities and you could go from the guys in Bristol, the guys in Miami, who are your top five? Who do you want on the court with you? So you would be one. Then you need your four guys. Uh, well, I definitely take Izzy uh, for sure. Um, I probably I, I haven't played with him, but I've heard Ryan Rosillo is really good. Um, I'd take Amin. Uh, I know he's very good. Uh, Dave McMiniman, who covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for us, is actually really good too. So that's who. And then I'd probably take Chris Broussard. He actually played Division Three college basketball. Can you guess what your number one searched interview would be about in maybe? Exactly. Yep, yep. I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Was that potentially your most awkward interview experience? I mean, you I handle mean, it. You handle it great. Thanks. Potentially? No, it was no question. <laughs> it is the unquestioned, undisputed champion of that. Like, that's not even a debate. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess in a sense you might have known know. that was coming, but to have it actually go along the way it did, probably to blow your mind that this was happening on, yeah, on national Yeah, listen, TV. and for those that... For those that haven't seen it or listened to it, you can find it. It's on YouTube still, like to this day. Uh, I was at the ticket. All of a sudden, I mean, this is how that story went. So my producer at the time, Andy King, uh, who now works at SiriusXM, he's like a big wig there. And uh, he, he says to me, the, the phone keeps ringing, the hotline keeps ringing. He's like kind of dismissing someone and just kind of hanging up. I'm seeing it through the other side of the glass. So one of the breaks, I'm like, yo, what's up with the phone? And he's like, no, man, some guy keeps calling, saying that he's Dennis Rodman's agent. He wants to talk to you. And it's like 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, so I, he called, the guy calls again. So he, I can kind of hear it. I go into the other room. And the guy's like, Andy, I, my name is such and such. I've worked with you before. I, I bet you if you look in your cell phone, you'll have this number. Call me at this number. It'll be me. So he's like, all right, fine. So he calls the guy back at the number, and it was Dennis Rodman's agent. <laughs> so he's like, you see, Dennis just wants to talk to George about LeBron. And uh, this was like LeBron's first year in Miami, right? So Andy's like, do you want to talk to him? I'm like, yo, it's 6.30 in the morning, and Dennis Rodman is up. Chances are this is going to be awesome. So <laughs> we, so he puts him on the phone, and, uh, yeah, he starts kind of talking, you know, about LeBron. And then all of a sudden, right, I hear the girl. And he puts her on the phone, and I talk to her for a second. We're kind of having fun with her. And then she puts Dennis back on the phone. So Dennis starts talking to me about LeBron. He starts trying to hot take about LeBron. Then all of a sudden, he sounds completely distracted. And clearly, she was, uh, you know, working him, basically, right? Like, giving him the business. So basically, she's uh, you know performing oral sex to him while we're on the radio. Whoa. So I could hear it. Like, it was that loud and pronounced, right? Or the phone was that close. And I'm like, Dennis, are you getting it on in the middle of this interview? And he's like, oh, yeah, brother. And I was like, I, I, we just started laughing. Like, we didn't know what else to do. Um, and then I think he hung up or we, I don't remember how the phone conversation ended. It was so long ago now. It, it was like a thing. It became 
uh, a thing. Like he was drunk at obviously 6:30 in the morning. He had obviously been to rehab a million times. He called us, and the, then I come to find out, like he, uh, it got replayed everywhere, right? Like it was all over the internet. It was on Howard Stern. Like Stern played it. <laughs> Apparently, they were trying to call Stern that day. Howard said this, and I believe it. And Howard was on vacation. And uh, so they called us because they happened to live in Miami and they were just listening to radio. So that happened to me. So, yeah, my most uh, awkward, strange, weird, fun, crazy interview was definitely Dennis Rodman. Uh, it's still on YouTube. When I got to ESPN, it was the first thing people asked me about. Cause it had only been like a couple of years. I think it was 2011, maybe. I don't remember. Um, every, the answer to your question is yes. Yeah, that's the stuff you mentioned about college not necessarily preparing you for everything that's probably number one on that list that's going to do it for the bridge you can listen to this show and all previous shows on my website at londonbridge.com that's l-u-n-d-i-n-b-r-i-d-g-e you can also follow me on twitter under that same handle at londonbridge you can also find previous shows of the bridge at sportsradioamerica.com you can call into the show through sports radio america at 888-444-0570 you can also call or text into the bridge on the show number at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you might be featured in the next show. You can subscribe to The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under Artists. You can also find previous episodes of The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also subscribe to The Bridge newsletter, which will provide weekly updates and behind-the-scenes information about the next show and who the next guest might be by going to londonbridge.com email. In the next installment of The Bridge, we will talk to Steve Torrey. He is the program director on Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio. We'll have a new installment of Sports News, Red Like Real News. We'll premiere a new segment for you fantasy football and NFL lovers out there. We'll take your texts or phone calls and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.